You're listening to Alleycast, a deep dive into innovative and emerging trends in e-commerce, online payments, and digital entertainment. Brought to you by Alibaba Group, we'll offer insights about Chinese consumers and brands doing business in China. We'll delve into global online retail, cloud computing, big data, and other must-know topics and issues in and around one of China's largest companies. I'm Adam Najberg. There are few out there who would question our guests' unparalleled expertise in brands and retail. David Roth is CEO of the store WPP Europe, Middle East, Africa, and Asia, and chairman of Brandsy and BAV Group. He's top of class in branding and consumer change in China, an authority on digital AI and voice recognition. He's also an author, a documentarian, and a genuinely good guy. David's made time to join us on Alleycast today, and we welcome him. Thank you, David. Well, thank you very much, Adam. It's a pleasure to、uh, be with you today, David. I know you and we have probably analyzed eleven, eleven, ten different ways from Sunday by now, but you're the expert, and I wanted to raise with you some of the things we noticed to try and understand them a little better with your help. For example, some changes in consumer behavior exhibited at the height of the COVID lockup in China look to have kind of stuck. Especially, we noticed in the older silver generation that's come online. And stayed online during 11:11. We know a lot of older people who had always shopped offline at brick and mortar shops and markets, for example, had to shift to online during COVID lockdowns. But these were also social occasions for some of China's older shoppers. Now that they can go back to stores in person, why aren't they choosing to still buy online? Well, I think you raise a really interesting point, Adam, because I think one of the things that we'll be able to do probably in a six, seven, eight months' time is to really take a good sort of helicopter view of the various different changes in consumers' behaviour and attitude that we've seen, sort of pre-pandemic to post-pandemic. And I think one of the things that is already becoming apparent, but will be much more noticeable when we we do take that helicopter and distance perspective, is a lot of the trends that we saw. Pre-pandemic, and you might have had to look very hard in order to really see them, but you know they were there if you if you studied them hard. Have been rapidly accelerated during the the COVID sort of lockdown period, and clearly e-commerce in its various different forms、uh, is one of those. And I think what we will also see is that,、um, I mean, you could call it progress, you can call it change, however you want to define it. But over the course of maybe eight or nine months, probably maybe four or five years worth of change has taken place over that period of time. So, what I would say to the specifics of older generations having to experiment with e-commerce and especially grocery e-commerce, which they're much more used to going every day or every other day to the stores in order to get what they what they needed, they had to use an e-commerce and home delivery. A version of that in order to get the food that they wanted, and I think they found that experience、uh, really interesting. It was、uh, a great thing to do in terms of making best use of your time. And when doing that physically started to become available again, I think many of them thought, "Well, actually, I could do much better things with my time than to spend that time、uh, in the stores." And I think what we'll see again from that helicopter perspective is. Other forms of social activity taking the place of what the shopping social activity used to be. Now, having said that,、uh, I am not in the camp that says 
consumers going to stores, enjoying themselves in the stores, is something that won't be a fundamental part of the way in which uh, we as uh, consumers all over the world behave. But we will be much choosy in the things that we do physically versus the things that we do virtually. And I think it will be up to really smart retailers, uh, marketeers, e-commerce operators to give us a really good reason to shop out as opposed to shop in. In terms of the brands and their advertising, have they noticed this and are they adapting to the trend of people coming online, kind of a broader spectrum than just Gen Z and millennials in China? Are we going to see any sort of fundamental shift in the way they try to appeal to these different generations online? And when I say different, I mean different from the way they reach out to Gen Z and millennials. I think we've seen the initial signs of that. I mean, clearly, at the height of the pandemic and the height of the lockdown, clearly in China, and it's reflected uh, right across the world, we saw quite a big shift from print, from outdoor media into digital in one form or another. And I think that shift is going to continue. It will rebalance itself as people uh, spend more time outdoor. I'm pretty certain the digital out of home will be a much more fluid media that people would use significantly more than they have done in the past. But yes, I think we're seeing, we're going to be seeing two, two things. The first is that advertisers will find older consumers uh, new habits online and will reach them online and then I think there will be a segmentation of the types of messages that are um, good and for uh, the younger consumers and other messages that resonate much better with older consumers so we'll both see a different place in the way in which the digital media is placed and we'll also see a different form in terms of both its content and its creative content and I think that will be a good thing. When we talk about creative content you noted some time ago that live streaming and I'm using your words it integrated the social and commerce experiences for many brands we know it's a big thing, a must-have for brands on platforms, especially in China. A hallmark of both the maturation of live streaming and the change in consumer behavior that we just talked about is not just more live streams, but more types of them, more segmentation. We have farmers going online, CEOs being trained to go on camera and talk about their company and products, KOLs, obviously, who started this and even AI-powered avatars to handle overnight live streams. This clearly isn't going away, but I, I want to ask you to look into your crystal ball and tell me where is live streaming headed? Well, it's always uh, interesting when you have your own words quoted back to you. I'm a, I'm a big proponent uh, and supporter of the way in which live stream is moving. I think it's going to be a very important part of brands' uh, go-to-market strategy and a very important distribution part of their strategy as well. In terms of its segmentation, I think you know live streaming is going to grow and evolve at a at a very rapid rate, and therefore, like all things that you know, are new, uh, you know, start on that sort of uh, curve of adoption. Um, there's lots of experimentation that takes place, and there's also um, because clearly uh, this is operating at China speed, we're going to go from people experimenting on live stream into a very sophisticated live stream very quickly. So I would say that there are three things to, to look at. The first is the way in which the live streaming is integrated um, so it becomes a completely seamless experience. Now, of course, in Asia, especially in China, with uh, the Alibaba platforms, 
that's a much simpler thing to do because you know there is amazing integration between the payment end, the distribution end, the delivery end, and that is very seamless. Out of Asia, um, that seamless integration is much more difficult to uh, create, uh, and therefore it's not as a fluid experience uh, with consumers. So that's that's one side. The other, the other, the second area um, is actually who does live streaming, and one of the I think really interesting things that I observed from this year's eleven uh, eleven uh, global shopping festival was the amount of you know, very senior uh, from CEOs. You mentioned CEOs, but also uh, marketing directors, chief growth officers, actually participating in the live streams of uh, their products from their organisations, um, and that I think uh, is important in two respects. The first is, yeah, I think it's really good for CEOs uh, and very senior C-suite executives to speak directly and have a direct dialogue with their consumers. It's good for the consumers and it's very good for them as well. Uh, And the second thing is that they get to really understand um, how it works and the importance of it and how it can drive their business. Uh, so clearly that's very important. And I think the third area, and, and you briefly touched on it yourself in terms of um, uh, live streaming enables uh, the supply chain to be significantly shortened. So you can go from uh, the farmer in the fields talking about the products you know, at, diff- at various different times of the year and showing the products uh, or his produce uh, that he's growing um, directly to the consumer, uh, cutting out quite a lot of the supply chain. Um, and I think that's a very interesting area that we're going to see live streaming developing, which is, you know, how can live streaming in one form or another disintermediate uh, a number of people who currently play an important part uh, in the supply chain? Some of that is going to be good and some of that is going to be bad, uh, depending on which part of the supply chain you happen to be in. But I think it's yet another way of uh, technology and e-commerce in particular, shortening supply chains, allowing uh, producers to have a much more direct relationship with the consumer and and also I suppose yet another element of the trend that we're seeing right across the world of uh, much more direct uh, to consumer activity. I guess where we are right now is brands are evolving out of necessity. They're evolving also because of technology. We were just talking about live streaming. I remember you've you've talked about how first we talked about product brands, then corporate brands, then platform brands, and now ecosystem brands. Could you dig into that a little bit? Just talk us through how that helps brands improve their value, but also what about for the operator, the platform, and the ecosystem's brand? What does it do for them? Well, I mean, to give you a, a, a just a, a sort of a, a brief sort of view of those of those stages, you know, it was very much the FMCG brands that got and understood the whole concept of branding and pretty much taught the world how to do that. And then companies and organisations realised that they that especially in in the uh, in the realms of the growth of the conglomerates, um, which were in favour for a long period of time with financial institutions, they sort of fell out of favour. Um, probably about 15 years ago, they realized that there was a great strength in that corporate brand. And then obviously the platform brands suddenly sort of uh, came on the strip, on, on stream, the likes of the, the big technology players. The whole issue of the ecosystem, I believe, is really interesting because what we're seeing at the moment is for any company, brand, organization to be able to be expert at all the things that they need to do in this much more integrated, you know, integrated relationship between uh, 
things being done physically and things being done virtually is really complex and very, very difficult. Not only have you got to be an expert in uh, the manufacturing of your individual products, you've now got to be an expert in delivery to uh, a single end uh, consumer. And we all know that, you know, how frustrating it is for a consumer to, to have a poor delivery experience and that delivery experience you know gets put straight back on the brand again so to be able to do all of those things in a in a phenomenally uh, efficient way all by yourself i think now is an impossibility and therefore being able to create an ecosystem around you of people that you know uh, share your perspective on on life and your the relationship that you have with the consumer is now an essential ingredient in being able to uh, deliver not physically but metaphorically uh, deliver for uh, for the customer and also to be uh, being able to evolve and to do things both at scale and also at speed so i i believe that the ecosystem brand is going to be a vital ingredient in business performance you know for you know the next generation of business development and i think i am already seeing signs that those organizations that have more of an ecosystem have performed better um, over this very stressful period that we've all been in and we're still living through and hopefully um, with the uh, development of all the vaccines that look very promising at the moment uh, maybe in six seven months time uh, the outlook will look will look very different to it doesn't at the moment but those who have an interesting alliance of ecosystem partners um, have done better uh, and I think will do better for the foreseeable future. So sort of my advice would be understand how ecosystems work, work out who your ecosystem partners could be and start to create and develop really interesting alliances and ecosystem partners that allow you to do things in a bigger, bolder way, faster, uh, cheaper, more responsive and closer to the consumer. When you describe this, it all sounds very logical to me. And I, I've i seen this, I believe it, over FMCG and other sectors. What about luxury, though? So much of luxury has depended on brands getting you into their stores to feel the exclusivity, to feel the vibe. What's been sort of astounding to me over the past three years is we see luxury brands increasingly moving online. From our side, the Alibaba side, we have the Tmall Luxury Pavilion and others have have their own iterations. I'm really interested in trying to understand what have we seen recently? And we've seen an increasing number of luxury brands trying to reach customers online. Why is that happening? Well, I mean, luxury brands have been, I suppose, the least uh, responsive to the digital age. And you can understand why, in a sense, and you you highlighted them yourself just just there Adam the luxury is about experience the store is the I suppose the temple to the luxury brand it imbues everything about the brand you know the exclusivity nature of it uh, the design nature of it uh, the the personal selling nature of it and the store is a reflection and an absolute manifestation of what the brand stands for and its psychological contract uh, that it has with its consumers and consumers for their part also love the 
experience of going into uh, a luxury brand store to be treated in the way in which they are treated there to have somebody talk about the product the provenance of that product the story behind that uh, that product and for them to be uh, not just a, a shopper but but somebody who is known and respected uh, within within that store and have a relationship with them so you can understand why in a sense the digital experience which which even today is you know it it's it's a much more functional experience than it is an emotive experience. So you can understand why the digital experience uh, has not been particularly attractive for the key luxury players. But of course, I think the theme running through this 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 podcast is the acceleration of trends that were emerging, and even for the luxury players, they you know they had to accelerate um, what they were prepared to do online. And I think it is possible, and given the way in which the luxury brands have, in a sense, defined what a luxury experience is, is physically, I think there is tremendous opportunity for the luxury players to define what a luxury experience is in uh, the virtual world. And I think there will be a much tighter interrelationship between things that are done virtually in the luxury arena versus things that are done physically and a tighter interrelationship uh, between the two of those. I mean, we have you know seen a number of uh, platforms, including the Alibaba platform, has 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 done some very interesting um, uh, work in that in the luxury space in order to create a a different type of platform and a different type of experience. I don't think anybody yet has has really got that right, but I think they you know a lot of uh, a lot of very clever and bright minds, both in the marketing arena and also in the uh, luxury brand. I will be spending uh, a lot or have been spending a lot of time in the last few months I will be spending a lot of time uh, trying to make that integration uh, much tighter and also feel much more like a luxury experience as opposed to uh, a digital functional experience. David, let me ask you one last thing. Timing wise, 1111 is over for another year. We can all take a deep breath. Yes, I think we can all take a little bit of a deep <laughs> breath, can't we? And uh, at least, at least until January, we also start need to start to think about it again. But but on the other side of the world, Black Friday and Cyber Monday are coming. So I just wanted to ask you, and I'd be remiss if I didn't. Could you dissect a little bit how and where sh- these different shopping festivals, if we like take eleven eleven and Black Friday? are similar and how they're different? What are the key distinguishing features and what makes them evolutionarily different? Sure. Well, of course, you know, the origins of the name Black Friday sort of gives should give everybody a hint as to uh, where it started. I mean, it was called Black Friday because pretty much that was the first Friday of the year that retail stores over the course of the year actually went into the black as opposed to the red in terms of you know actually making money as opposed to losing money, which most of the big stores did up until that point, uh, which is why it was called Black Friday. And I suppose it has its origins in terms of the sort of the, the period for big discounts, relatively recent in terms of the, the the, the history of the sales period coming up, you know, after Thanksgiving and uh, into the Christmas, into the Christmas period, and of course, Black Friday in itself is a as a blessing and a curse because, of course, you know, you're giving away uh, a reasonable amount of money uh, over a period in, in normal years where people have got quite a lot of discretionary expenditure running up to the Christmas period. So it's always a bit of a dilemma 
because on the on the positive side, if you lock people in over Black Friday, you know you, you've got their you've got their holiday purchases. And on the downside, um, it's the margin management between what you've given away over Black Friday period and, and what you could have made uh, over the period between Black Friday uh, running up to the uh, the Christmas period. Now, I believe there is a fundamental difference between, in a sense, the bundle of things over Black Friday versus a bundle of things over the 11-11 period. And that is that the 11-11 period is is much more involving. You know, it is, you know, I, I think it's no uh, deceit in the sense that it's called a shopping festival because it is a, you know, it is a festival. It's, it's, it has gamification to it. Uh, con- consumers are very much engaged in it. You, know, you, you have your friends and your community engagement that help and, and support you over that sort of period. Whereas Black Friday is still very much, you know, a a discount uh, period um, that is not particularly engaging at all. And I think the other big difference that I'm seeing, and I see a big divergence now between the promotional periods of which Black Friday is and the shopping festivals, uh, which are, to me now, are, are in a different sort of arena because they, you know, the shopping festivals bring excitement and innovation and clearly phenomenal sales into what I would say, in reflection of Black Friday, is getting to be now a very tired sort of old retail model of purely promotional activity and the one thing i would highlight to, to make that point is that 1111 uh, global shopping festival is now seen as a place to launch new products to display new innovations for the first time as opposed to a place where you can get rid of stock that hasn't sold uh, maybe it's stock that you've sung happy birthday to in your distribution center for you know one or possibly two years and you see this as a great opportunity of slashing the price and giving a a, a big discount and to me there is a big divergence now happening between the black friday type of model and uh, the shopping festival uh, type of model Um, and i think those differences are only going to uh, going to get significantly greater well david roth you have as always, enlightened and educated and informed us. Thank you so much for joining us on AliCast. Well, Adam, it's uh, been a pleasure and a delight. I'm pretty certain that, you know, as as difficult and as interesting in inverted commerce as 2020 has been for uh, the retail and the brand industry, I think 2021 is shaping up to be a really phenomenally interesting year and something that we're all going to have to be not only a part of, but observe as the year uh, emerges. Thank you very much indeed. It's been a delight and a pleasure to be with you. 